watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Fahrenheit 11.9, Love Gilda, and Lizzie. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, you know what's funny? These are going to come out back-to-back, and one, we're going to be like, we're about to say goodbye to Jason for <laughs> two and a half weeks while like, it goes to sunny Toronto, and then it's going to be immediately like, welcome back, Jason. You've ended Toronto. How was it? We apologize for the destabilizing effect this will have on you as our listeners. I think in, in terms of what time means to people now, this could either seem like it's been three or four years since the last episode, or it could seem like it, you just downloaded one a minute ago. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, uh, is this what Doctor Who is about? Time moving in strange mm. ways? So it's really just an homage to Doctor Who is what we're doing That's on the show. That's what we're doing here. It's a very delicate... It's a cerebral, heady thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we use Nolan time. We use we Nolan do. time on mm-hmm. this show. Um, and uh, and that is correct. I This is our first show since I got back from Ding Tiff. And uh, so this is my fifth year in a row going. Uh, I As we're taping this, I have been back for four days. Still have not recovered my sleep pattern. I'll tell really? you getting old your body just it takes forever to get back to any sort of equilibrium are you uh, like jet lag from toronto i my body is still on like east coast time mm. so oh, wait, i always forget how east toronto is it's closer yeah. to, to cleveland than it is it's the full three hour time difference yeah uh so like yeah so i've been like waking up every morning at like six uh just fully awake which which for in case you're wondering is a, is at least a full two hours earlier uh than i would wake up of my own volition really? yes. i wake up at five fifty every morning do you really mm-hmm. i get it i wake up at five fifty, and i turn on the shower because it takes a while for it to heat up Wasteful. and then um and then like five minutes later <laughs> i get in the shower why do you wake up so early because the shuttle i take leaves at six fifty five. does your job require you to be at the office at a super early time not officially but yeah Hmm, I see. Mm-hmm. And then I leave at about um, anywhere between five and six. I leave on the latest and uh, I were, I leave in the morning on the latest and leave in the afternoon on the earliest. And that is a privilege I enjoy. Uh, so, but yeah, so I, my time has been fucked. It's just a thing of getting older where, you know, it takes longer to get over a hangover and it takes longer to get over any sort of change to your body clock. And I'm paying the price for that right now mm. after the 10 days at TIFF of waking up every morning at around 7 30 8 o'clock uh east coast time uh and then watching about five movies every day that i was there and then not going to bed until like one or so one or one thirty. uh it is uh, tiring jason question for you yeah um have you ever fallen asleep during a movie not in a theater no mm, not even in in this sort of like all day long mm-hmm. wait up at seven thirty. nope when you go to TIFF, I assume that like you ha- you pick the movies and you you pick ones that you think are going to be the ones that are going to be hot. They have some some buzz behind them. I'm doing a you hand motion right now. It's a very it's you a, thing. Oh, is that a hand? I uh, make? It's a hand you make. It kind of goes it looks, like that. It looks like a vaguely kind of Bollywoodish gesture. It's mm, like the yeah. unscrew the light bulb. I see it more of like a, a, a stereotypical a Italian chef. It's okay, like a, here's the pizza. So I'm somewhere between these different archetypes. Is mm-hmm. what you're saying? Yeah, stereotypes. Okay. Um, anyway. I assume that there must be some that you fill your day with that end up being like absolute garbage. Do yeah. you ever leave during them? Um, <clears throat> I will leave 
I don't think I did it this, actually, no, this year I did. Um, I did leave one early just because it wound up being a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Mm. And I thought I had this window of time between that and the next movie. Mm. And then when I realized that it was indeed going to keep going um, for like a whole other hour after it had already been on for an hour and a half. And it was one of the worst movies I saw the whole festival. I was like, mm, I'm going to go. Ooh, what is it? <clears throat> it's this um, Icelandic uh, drug addiction drama called Let Me Fall. Um, that has literally nothing more to say in its two and a half hours than drugs are bad, but the kids are doing them. Mm. And it has this <clears throat> sort of unintentionally hilarious dual timeline um, where it goes back and forth between, you know, we're watching this like fresh faced teen girl become, you know, taken down by the throes of drug addiction and then cutting to her like present day self in which she is a hundred percent Jerry Blank. <laughs> but it's played like for like deadly serious but the actress playing the jerry blank character goes so over the top oh wow um sounds so amazing it's pretty remarkable but <clears throat> but all the same um when i'm there i'm still working i'm not taking i don't get that time off so and mm-hmm. i have a full-time job that's incredibly demanding and so I have to always be aware of like, okay, do I have time between these two movies to go and catch up on all my work mm. so I don't fall wildly behind and my manager doesn't kill me. So that is always a concern. And that is that is like the nagging thing that definitely I can't just like relax and fall asleep because I'm always just freaking out about the time and all that shit. So, mm. um, but yeah, no, I saw a few stinkers. I would say overall, this is kind of the the weakest tiff i've ever been to wow i always come back from them with like at least two or three movies where i'm just like this is a shoe in can't miss everyone's gonna love this um but that's not the case this year um i have you know i, I have my favorites my two favorites being the hate you give and if beale street could talk mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah even those i would you know like i think they're both great but they're not like they don't hit every quadrant um, the way something like a Ladybird or a Three Billboards or a Shape of Water did last year. Last year was an embarrassment of riches, really, because mm. um, there's all yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, this year the biggest movies were all movies that I had issues with, which were like First Man, Widows, A Star Is Born. Uh, none of which I think are bad, but none mm. of which I think are just like oh, it's it really just get, blew my hair back. <laughs> you know I love that. I know you do. I used it at work today. I was so happy. Did you? Did you? Or did you use it in a meeting? Uh, no, I used it in a conversation, but it was, um, it was just that thing where you like, I know the phrase I'm going to use. I'm so excited to use right. it. And I used it and I was so happy. The wind up and the pitch. It was about Lilith Fair too. So you'd be happy. <gasps> what about Lilith Fair? We were just talking to my coworker about Lilith Fair and I said something like we hadn't, she mentioned it and I was like, well, I'm about to drop some information that's really going to blow your hair back. I went to two Lilith Fairs, which is a joke because I'm obviously gay. <laughs> This is the best exchange I've heard about in a long time. That was for you. I wish I could have been there. I'm so glad we got to uh, talk about it. And I had a bad day, so that's good to hear. Um, And I feel like probably the biggest moment I witnessed in all of TIFF was a QA and a moment. Um, You know, audience Q&As, of course, are always the worst part of life. And um, and this TIFF was no different. Um, There was at least one moment at an audience Q&A that made me just want to crawl under a rock and never come back out. Um, it was after a screening of a movie called Out of Blue, uh, starring Patricia Clarkson, and uh, as a movie that had to do a lot to do with like mental health issues and um, sort of like attempted suicide. And after the Q and A, um, a guy in the audience raised his hand, or during the Q and A, a guy in his hand uh, mm-hmm. raised his hand in the audience and began to basically accost the female director of the film and say that he felt 
very triggered by the movie. He felt that she'd been very careless with her depictions of suicide. He identified as somebody who had committed, who had attempted to commit suicide multiple times. Um, and uh, and this is all going down while Patricia Clarkson is just standing there, like on stage next to the director wow. and Did next he start to the facilitator. With saying, this isn't so much a question as it is. He started by saying, I'm not trying to put you on blast or anything, but... Whoa. And I was just dying in my seat. And then the director um, waited for him to finish and then informed him that her father committed suicide. Nice. Yes. So I'm like, booyah! <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. you stood up and were You're like... Right. I'm, like <laughs> I'm like, face! <laughs> uh, so, uh, but, uh, but then the opposite of that was uh, the most delightful conflict I witnessed at a Q&A was with one Ms. Nicole Kidman. Oh. at a Q&A for a movie called Destroyer, um, at which uh, a gay in the audience um, raised his hand and said, so I've actually spent the last year working on a project where I rank all of your movies by the wigs you wear. And <laughs> this movie that we just watched, Destroyer, is is pretty wiggy. So I'm wondering where you, Nicole, would rank this wig among all the other wigs that you've worn in films. What? I cannot believe you think it's necessary to do an impression of yourself <laughs> on this podcast. But go on. I've decided to go meta with it. What did she um, say I'm, to I'm, you? I'm testing out a new persona that you know I might just adopt <laughs> full time for the podcast and, Please don't. And, and keep my own self to myself. <laughs> then stop sharing you with everyone. So she looked at the moderator and she was like, what? <laughs> and the moderator was like, I think. And she's like, wiki? Did he say it's wiki? And uh, and, he's, and the moderator's like, I think he's he's asking how you feel about this wig you wore in this film compared to other wigs you've worn. And she like draws back, takes a breath, and goes, "That is a terrible question, and I'm shutting it down right now." What? And and then they moved on. <laughs> what? I have never seen, never ever seen an A-list actor just fully like disembowel. A person for asking a question at a Q&A oh before. Oh, my God. And she did it to one of her gays. I'm like, Nikki, you know, like, we're your bread and butter. You got to be right. good to us. Like, awesome. we're the ones who cheer for you uh, throughout the decades. Great question. Yeah. I mean, Was it a wiggy movie? Well, she does wear a wig in the movie, and uh, and it is a, a bad wig, I would say. I think Vulture in their Toronto Roundup named it as one of the lows of the festival, her wig and destroyer. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and this is the movie in which she, uh, in which she is so unrecognizable that Beth Dean described her as, now we know what Nicole Kidman would look like had she been born in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because the movie Destroyer is a biopic about Dan Behar. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Yeah. I thought you were going to go with, with Beth Wrecking Ball Dean. Uh, <laughs> that one too. Wow. So, but, I uh, mean, this is that coming off the hours. <clears throat> It is, yeah. Oh, and post she, the hours, it's still saying she's still she's still going there, and uh, and she is. And don't ask her about it because she is not here for your questions about her wigs. Unbelievable! I thought really. for sure yeah, that I, would question would be applauded. I thought that she would be tickled by it. I mean, like she, but apparently no. She this she's like this is a serious thing, and I'm here to talk about serious things. Damn. That she's wow. like this is my chance for another Oscar, and so I'm fucking doubling down. Is but, it? Um, I think it's horrendous. So I, I would say no, <laughs> but it's hard to say. Anyway, so uh, that's that's uh, that's TIFF. Um, of course, we'll be talking about these TIFF movies on and off for the next probably year plus Yay. As, as they continue <laughs> to trickle out. Um, Rebecca, what's up with you? Not too much. Um, you know, just uh, holding down the fort, uh, recording ghost podcasts while you're not here. Uh, nobody will ever hear. Oh. Um, and I got a new car. 
That's right. You mm-hmm. did. That's right. I got to take my maiden voyage in it. You did? Just Monday night, and uh, it was a treat. We zipped around. There's a little light show that happens mm-hmm. on the dash. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like you're flying virgin. Mm-hmm. Which oh. is comforting, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. It's that mood lighting, especially, you know, now that Alaska has virgin, I don't have to count on that anymore. Right. I'm just going to take a ride in your car. That's it. And we'll take you wherever you need to go. No horrendous safety video involved. No. I do do the dance, though. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. All the impressions, mm-hmm. even the racist mm-hmm. ones. I know. I mean... I didn't know that kid was going to be on Blackish. <laughs> no one did. <laughs> um, let's get to this week's movies. Let's do it. Uh, the first of which is Fahrenheit 11.9. Filmmaker Michael Moore predicted that Donald Trump would become the 45th president of the United States. Traveling across the country, Moore interviews American citizens to get a sense of the social, economic, and political impact of Trump's victory. Moore also takes an in-depth look at the media, the Electoral College, the government agenda, and his hometown of Flint, Michigan. We don't have a trailer for this one, but you can probably expect how it would go. So, you know, I I saw this coming, and no one <laughs> believed me, but Fox News did, and they showed me talking about it. I'm going to try my best to keep my composure during this review. Okay. And to just keep breathing, and to not get up into my head voice. Okay, uh, let me start with a question for you. Hopefully this is kind of a softball. I think of this movie, um, it's kind of wiggy. (laughs) (laughs) Would you describe it as particularly wiggy? I would say that Nicole Kidman's Wig and Destroyer is a slightly darker uh, variation on Michael Moore's hair. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. I I think they're a natural born match. So maybe it's as though Nicole Kidman were born in Flint. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly the complexion that she adopts uh, later on in Destroyer would suggest water poisoning. So that <laughs> amazing that also checks out. Um, okay, so how about I start, okay. and I will give my summary and, you know, pepper with my review, and okay. then you just jump in at every point you disagree. <laughs> okay. Great. Should we take that approach? Mm-hmm. So here we have Michael Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you looking at me. Michael Moore packaging up everything that's going on right not everything but uh some of the top things that are happening right now that paint a picture of uh, America 2018. Mm-hmm. You have a summary of the election um from uh the view of people who feel uh disenfranchised because they voted for Bernie mm-hmm. um and that Hillary got the nomination. Mm-hmm. Um why why people voted for Trump? What Trump's been like uh, a little bit of a character assassination you know really focusing on his uh, creepy relationship with his daughter mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of goes into other troubling American stories and how politics are involved from the Flint water crisis to the governor of Michigan uh, installing governments uh, across the state of Michigan in different cities using some bogus tactics to school shootings, um, gun control uh, issue we have, and, and what happened in Parkland. Uh, and then there's this... West Virginia teacher unions. West Virginia teacher unions. Um, so, yeah, so, well, you know, um, what's happened, how teachers are not being uh, paid in, in, uh, fairly or a living wage. And, and then on the, on the other side of that, you have what, what has been done so we have a profile, a short profile of some people who've been running for office um, uh, in, to sort of like try to take things back. Uh, he shows the Parkland kids putting on um, the uh, March for Our Lives. 
Um, and then he kind of throws in some comparisons to from right now to uh, Nazi Germany, along with a very moving interview from the last surviving prosecutor from the Nuremberg trials. Yes. Who starts crying and it made me cry. That was very powerful. That was very, very powerful. Um, and, you know, I think that through the whole thing, it is, you know, very clearly a Michael Moore movie. He has a very distinct style. This is that style. Um, and... You know, I'm kind of confused about who it's for. I feel like people who already f- feel this way, already know these things, and maybe that just comes from where I am. You know, I read the news a lot, and I read it for work, and I know about a lot of this stuff. But I think about, I was thinking about, like, the, his other movies and how even though at, at that time I thought myself, you know, familiar with the news, just because of social media and my phone, like, I... I know more, I consume more news now than I did then. Mm-hmm. So I feel like even if I'm as interested in the same level, I still know, would know more about these stories now. So his impact isn't as, as much, isn't as strong. Um, because I don't know, it's, he's not really telling you anything you don't know. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> I, I wasn't expecting to keep talking. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you really I... did. Im- you control yourself to a degree where you just can't say anything. Yeah, yeah, I'm just nonverbal. I'm catatonic. <laughs> I think that that is all <clears throat> true. I uh, I would say that. So my frustration with the movie is um, there's a few dimensions to it. So on the one hand, I feel in a way that I've kind of. You know, so I first saw Michael Moore movies in college because mm-hmm. uh, Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11 both came out when I was in college. And, um, you know, and at the time, you know, in my early 20s, it was like, you know, singing my life with its words. It mm-hmm. was like, I'm I'm an activist and I, you know, I'm so angry at the system or whatever. And, um, you know, and his, um, he is, if nothing else, a very gifted storyteller He's mm-hmm. a very gifted framer of narratives. Yeah. And um and he knows how to um you know, he knows how to release tension at certain points, um, to give you something to laugh about, but then, you know, just that draws you in even further to the narrative that he's telling you. So he's an expert user of humor, uh, just to make it feel like he's not being totally um, you know, self righteous the entire time. Mm-hmm. He makes fun of himself first. In this movie, he mocks himself and his own yeah. sort of connections to the Trump family going back decades. Um, and uh, so, but I think that, you know, what bothers me now about Michael Moore movies that didn't bother me as much back then is, for one, just the general lack of attribution mm. for literally anything he says. And I do remember back in like Fahrenheit 9-11 in particular, since that movie was such a, a, such a firebomb um, when it came out. Um, I would say more more than than this one will be, just because mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like at you know that was since that was about nine eleven, um, and you know uh, you know Bush administration lies and mistruths related to nine eleven, that felt a lot more dangerous and subversive mm-hmm. um, than to just be like Trump's crazy and we all know it because like right. we do all know it. Um, so. Uh, but I remember for those films, he did have like supplements that you could read on like the budding internet where it's like, okay, here's where all these things are attributed mm-hmm, from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he basically kicks this entire movie, Fahrenheit 11.9, so named because November 9th was technically the date it was in New York um, whenever Trump was declared president. It was still November 8th for us. Sorry, suckers out here in mm-hmm. California. 
um, it opens with this this massive um, allegation that's been very headline grabbing that the reason that Trump ran for president is because mm-hmm. it was as a stunt to make NBC pay him more because for The Apprentice because he had heard that Gwen Stefani was earning more as a judge on The Voice uh, than he was earning. And so he decided to do this whole stunt just to get NBC to pay him more. Um, and then it kind of snowballed from there. And uh, initially it worked out very badly for him because he got fired from NBC because of the horrible racist things he said at his uh, early rallies. Um, and then he was supposedly going to just drop out of the whole thing. Um, but then his sons were like, oh, just go to these two rallies you already have scheduled. And then he went to the rallies and realized that like this was you know, meeting thousands and thousands of people cheering for him. That was all his narcissistic heart could have ever dreamed of. And then, you know, the Frankenstein monster uh, began. Yeah, it's a, it's a story that's like, you'll never believe the reason who we have to blame right. is Gwen Stefani. And you're like, that's crazy right. um, and super interesting. But then you're like, there's no way there's a straight line, one cause right. and effect for this situation. And he never says, according to who. He never says, mm-hmm. as corroborated by, as reported by. He just throws this out there and makes it literally the building block of the movie. In the sense that he's saying this is the reason this all started. Which is incredibly immature to even think that that's how decisions are made in the world. And it also lets go of any sense of like the whole Manchurian candidate, uh, you know, theory that, you know, he was, you know, some sort of Russian agent from the beginning. Um, this lets that off the hook and says, no, it was actually just his ego. Mm-hmm. And it was like this complete springtime for Hitler folly. And it also like at this point where there's so much talk about like fake news and misinformation, mm-hmm. it is... Um, it is of the utmost importance to 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 make references and to yeah, show to your work, show your work, and to avoid things that could be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. If you're like, here's a funny off thing that I heard right. from somebody, and that probably also pushed Trump because he's ego driven, blah 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 blah. Right. That's one thing, but to like make it seem so, it's it's irresponsible. Yeah, and I would say that uh, so that those things bothered me. The um, you know now that we all watch the news so much and we do have so much access online to different news clips. Uh, I think I became more aware of when his like archive people people were just digging out really, mm. really like left field off the radar um, uh, clips of some random person I've never seen before saying some random thing mm-hmm. and then using that as if to be like, and this is the one that proves my point. Right. Um, so I feel like his approach is very disingenuous and I mean, he, you know, a friend at work was saying, he was like, well, you know, Michael Moore is not, you know, he's at the end of the day, not a documentarian, you know, he's like a video essayist. Mm. Um, you know, he, but people can't make that dis- determination. And in the world of Alex Jones, we don't mm. need a, a liberal Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. We need to have integrity if we're going to make things like this. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually had even, I had forgotten all about that where to invade next movie. Mm. Um, oh, right. Oof. Yeah. Uh, until uh, the coworker brought it up, but so and then the rest of the movie is essentially Michael Moore just rattling off pretty much every expected progressive talking point mm-hmm. um, that you would expect. You know, he rattles off all the you know the the Bernie phenomenon and how you know the Democratic establishment failed to um, give it legitimacy and all the states that gave their delegates to uh, Hillary and not to Bernie, even though Bernie won the majority of the vote there. And that disenfranchise people and why they care about elections if they think their votes don't matter. Uh, there is, um, you know, a segment that just rips Obama to shreds for all the ways, you know, for the main ways that that progressives talk about that he failed in terms of the drone strikes and the deportations. 
Some shocking revelations, possibly, about how he treated the Flint water crisis. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, there, he does dig up some fairly damning footage of Obama making a, a, a dismal appearance in mm-hmm. Flint um, that was, at the, anticlimactic is the easiest, most gentle word you could use mm-hmm. to describe how it was received. Um, so, uh, and, you know, he goes into... Um, yeah, and then he just goes into like, oh, like this is about an up with people movement, and this is about the rise of democratic socialism. It's the future. We need to fully rise up against capitalism and embrace democratic socialism. And Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and uh, you know, is the is the is the future of the country. And and uh, so, and it, it just felt like you know, I was like, Michael Moore is he is a sixty four year old white man. He's a boomer. He's an aging, terrified boomer. And to me, this felt like the work of a scared old white person yeah it wasn't there was nothing particularly interesting or groundbreaking about it um and then the trump stuff is all obvious as can be we all know it because he says it all it's all out in the open right yeah that's the thing trump isn't a story you're not breaking any any nut all um, the ivanka stuff he did on tv (laughs) you can find any like the news that day was more interesting uh about trump than it than that movie was Mm -hmm. um and i'm sure by the time it comes out on friday there'll be (laughs) something else crazy and interesting Mm -hmm. um and then it ends on this very like dramatic jarring note you know it goes back to like the nazi references and then it it reference or it, uh, it shows clips of when they had that like accidental nuclear alarm co- go off in uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. So it's like, you know, it, it's like the end is near, but there isn't a, a clear call to action mm-hmm. um, to help you do anything um, except vote. Which I did register to vote when I got home. I will say that you were not registered to vote. I moved, so I wasn't registered my new address. Oh, okay. Got I've it. never voted before. <laughs> I'm going to try this voting thing out. Oh, did I didn't tell you I didn't vote in the last election? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bombshell right here in the middle of the show, guys. Like, no, see, this might... is, that's the kind of wake-up call that people like me need. I just assume everyone's doing the right thing. Uh, new address. Mm-hmm. I new see. address. Yeah, um, no, that the, the, the Hawaii thing was in particular uh, was, was very poor, poorly used. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like, you know, so yeah, so we're watching this thing that was just a mistake, a mistake alert. Um, and then watching these people like terrified that they're about to die. And then he's like, granted that time wasn't real, but make no mistake. This is the world we live in now. I'm like, (laughs) what world? A world in which we get mistake pop-ups on our phones? How is this supporting your case? Right. And you mentioned the Flint thing. The, by far the most effective parts of the movie are the parts where he does go back to Flint and dive deep into the water poisoning crisis, the ongoing um, water poisoning in Flint, and uh, and he would have made a much better movie if he had just focused on that just and not revisit. and not gone off into a million tangents. Made us sit through and watch the harrowing Parkland shooting footage again, mm. uh, and everything else horrible that he shows in the movie. That doesn't necessarily make a strong case, other than just like, mm-hmm. it does. That would have been great. You know, we talked about it on, on the way out of the movie mm-hmm. because the other things, it, there are too many topics that they're covered too lightly, and that's what goes back to like if. Maybe there are people who don't watch the news that much or don't mm. get it on their phones, but it's not a deep enough dive for right. for people who do. And, and if are they going to watch Michael Moore movies? No, the no. Yeah. So I'm not sure who the audience is, and it just seems like kind of a waste of time. And uh, completely agree, it seems really irresponsible to um, have have such loosey goosey uh, allegations in a movie that you're trying to make people take seriously. Yeah. Um, what are you giving it? Uh, for me, it's a consumer moderation. Yeah, same. Yeah. There's still like some like 
uncle that needs to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, like it's sort of like he's saying the things that we all know are issues, whether regardless of whether we think they should be issues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I don't think there should be a crisis of voter confidence, but that doesn't change the fact that there is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's valid points, but not always made uh, with integrity. Uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 is rated R for language and some disturbing material. That brings us to movie number two, Love, Gilda, which is our pick of the week. In her own words, comedian Gilda Radner looks back and reflects on her life and career. Weaving together recently discovered audio tapes, interviews with her friends, rare home movies, and diaries read by modern-day comedians. Love, Gilda offers a unique window into the honest and whimsical world of a beloved performer whose greatest role was sharing her story. Okay, so, pick of the week, Jason's Call. Um, I didn't get to finish the end of this movie. Okay. Based on what I saw, I would not have given it a pick of the week. She dies. I know. I I was prepared to, I was putting this movie off because I didn't want to go through the emotional roller coaster of Mm -hmm. it. Um, Any any sort of like tribute to her always, you know, it's incredibly sad. It's a, it's a. Yeah indisputable story of like someone plucked too young and sure was was would lizzie be your pick of the week no i probably wouldn't have had one okay and the only thing about the story why i wouldn't have been a pick of the week is because i felt like it was a really um like cheesy documentary um like the music and it was like someone made a scrap imagine like a middle-aged mom scrapbook like iMovie video of a documentary um, of something I really wanted to see. So I was just a little disappointed that it was like handled kind of tackily. Interesting. Uh, I guess I didn't um, get that as much. I, I, I did feel like the director was trying to sort of capture and recreate the tone and personality of Gilda Radner through the film, um, through like that just joyous, endearing, uh, effusive, uh, it felt like she was trying to make a documentary that honored the spirit of Gilda by kind of recreating it. And, and that didn't bother me. And I think that plus just, I think that just the energy that she herself radiates in mm-hmm. every clip of her, whether it be, you know, the archival footage of her as a little girl, um, all on through the rise of her career and, um, you know, all the way to the very end, uh, her untimely death, uh, from cancer, uh it is uh you know she just radiates this super endearing sort of whimsical warmth but intelligence Mm -hmm. and uh and so i guess i was i was almost i was moved by some of the things that probably would have bugged me under other circumstances like for instance they have a number of uh, other snl people Mm. recent snl people um read from her diaries and it's like amy poehler maya rudolph bill Hader, melissa mccarthy cecily strong and um and each of them is so visibly just teary just to be holding things that she held mm-hmm. and and reading words that she wrote by hand and i that was so powerful to me um to think like she means so much to these heroes of mine um and just to ima- and then just for them to try to articulate what it was about Gilda Radner that made her so important to them and so influential to them and, uh, you know, because like you go back and you watch these clips of her and she was just kind of, she was one of those people who changed the face of pop culture just by being herself, just by being who she mm. was, how she was, looking the way she did, talking the way she did, moving the way she did. Uh, and, you know, the nation fell in love with her and, um, and she 
it, you know, it's, I guess in some ways was sort of the first female sketch comic performer to ever become a huge star based on the strength of her comedy. Definitely the first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so in that way, opened the door for all these other really women who have followed. And yeah, and just seeing like, just like the reverence, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. each of them have um, when saying any word, like there's no careless word spoken right. by any of those people who are interviewed in the movie. Um, I do think the movie in general does feel it, it is a, it's kind of slight. And um, and if, if if you get to the end, you'll see that they kind of they really don't treat her death with any gravity oh really um they huh. they kind of they, it's like they don't want to go there um and they just kind of I'm, i have to assume it's because they're thinking well this is what she would want she wouldn't want the movie to become this very like sad wallow you know like it follows her through um you know through the cancer ups and downs over the course of the late 80s and um you know and then when it gets to the part where it's like and then gilda realized that you know that she wasn't going to get better and um but the film just like kind of like keeps its keeps its chin up uh mm-hmm. you know like throughout that part and and then it kind of it does not talk about her actual death it does not talk about like there's no one crying there's no one talking about her funeral there's no one saying you know when my world was torn apart it just kind of goes straight to how you know gene wilder you know started to build these you know these 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 i think they call like gildas clubs um in all the, in all the cities around the world for giving care to people with cancer and then you know she, we hear these recordings of her talking the entire movie, mm-hmm. and um, and I guess these it was for a, sort of an audiobook version of this memoir that she wrote that came out two weeks after she died, and uh, and so we hear her voice the whole time, and uh, and and then that's, that's really how they mentioned that she even died was they have like a postscript that comes up and they're like oh this, and then you know Ratner's memoir uh, came out two weeks after her death in 1989. And if you didn't know going into the movie that she died, that would be how you found out that she did. Mm. Was just like this kind of like casual reference in this postscript, like, "Oh yeah," and then she wrote this book. It came after she died. Um, so it might be committed to a fault to sort of you know appropriating Gilda Radner's whole vibe hmm. uh, over the course of a film that has some pretty serious stuff in it, and you know, in addition to the cancer, there's mm. also a very lengthy segment about her eating disorder. Right. Right. Uh, which is uh, heartbreaking. Absolutely. Uh, and especially because we see, you know, it makes a very plain kind of map of what happened and that her, what her mother did to her mm-hmm. when she was a child, mm-hmm. putting her on, you know, because we see these adorable footage of Gilda as just like a, like a sort of like a, just an adorably chubby little girl. And then, you know, and the mother put her on diet pills. Mm-hmm. Um, such were the times. And uh, and Gilda, you know, then we go back and revisit this footage of her in SNL and she was like, like oh, yeah okay yeah she's not healthy right yeah it was very obvious yeah um and uh and then I actually didn't even realize I thought that she I thought that would that was what had contributed to her death I had mm. forgotten it was actually cancer um so but yeah just going back and revisiting um just how one comedic star is kind of born mm-hmm. and um and just contemplating what you know the the sort of this ineffable greatness and originality of Gilda Radner it was you know for me it was a fine way to pass an hour and a half mm, interesting. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) I mean, I felt like, I don't know, I was just so distracted by the like the transitions and the graphics and again, the like, it felt like it was like royalty free music, like jingling in the background. I feel like when you looked at Melissa McCarthy and Amy Poehler and and those guys, like I've never seen them look so bad. It's like, really? It's like you took video from like your seven years ago phone and like the lights are on too bright and everyone looks really sweaty, not just teary. Um... 
and it, it seems like for someone who was like so um you know part of like uh stage troops and you know so much television it's a lot of like talking and photos there isn't like a lot of video footage which i i was like kind of hoping to see some more behind the scenes her goofing around with right. gene wilder her, her goofing around with uh, steve martin mm-hmm. um it was a reminder that chevy chase was quite a fox when really he was young the most handsome insanely good looking the most handsome unbelievable really really something else this is also the first time that I ever looked at dan Aykroyd and thought maybe i would <laughs> <laughs> yeah when they show those like season one mm-hmm. of the snl um the photos of them and like when bill murray had that little mustache oh, yeah. and then they like kind of go on tv it's just really like they that's them at their prime look wise but mm-hmm. uh you know yeah. i just I, I think it's a very valuable interesting great story and it just felt like it was done a little um on a, on a tight budget in a way that was kind of meh and it's, you know, coming out of a, a bad week for SNL history since we have just had this very bad and embarrassing Emmys that were fully mm. in SNL production. Um, and now we have, I think just today, Chevy Chase came out and said that SNL is the least funny thing in the world or has the worst sense of humor in the world. Oh, wow. So uh, so things in the SNL kingdom aren't looking super great at the moment. Uh, but Love Gilda is a is a sort of an you know enchanting throwback to the very beginning. Mm. Oh, here's yeah. No one needs to know. Um, so <laughs> what? It's I was gonna say I didn't find any of that funny. Oh, any of the old stuff? Yeah, old SNL is not my my jam at all. <laughs> it's so sad. I want to like this so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We're giving it a binge it. It's a binge it for me, and it's not like a hard binge it. But you know, I I think that it's. Yeah, I, I would recommend it to people. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> um, Love Gilda is unrated, but would probably be a PG-13 for language. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Lizzie. In 1892, Lizzie Borden lives a quiet life in Massachusetts under the strict rules established by her father. Lizzie finds a kindred spirit in the live-in maid, Bridget, and friendship soon blossoms into a secret romance. But tension mounts in the Borden household, leading to a violent breaking point. Please place your right hand on the Bible before you. Do you swear before Almighty God to tell the truth in all matters pertaining to the murder of Andrew and Abby Borden? Are you afraid? What? To your knowledge, did your father have any enemies? Sarah. Every man with the pulse has enemies. Jason Christopher Leroy. We have a movie starring Chloe Sevigny, Kirsten, Kristen Stewart, Lizzie, lesbian, lesbian storyline, period piece, and this is not your pick of the week. It is not. What in the hell is going on well rebecca antonia alarte that's not my name i'm pretty sure it is no it's not uh uh yeah i i i thought when i this was a sundance movie this year and when i heard about it i Mm. had the very the normal response that one would have upon hearing that there was a lizzie borden movie being made with chloe 70 and kristen stewart should i turn on the mic uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was more internal, oh, okay. but there was organ damage. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, that sounds amazing. Um, and then I mentioned it to some friends who had gone to Sundance. I was like, well, I just can't wait for Lizzie. And they both kind of looked at me like, ooh. And, you know, I saw that the reviews weren't great. And I was like, well, I'm going to hold out hope. And uh, and I just watched it today. 
and um, I shouldn't have held out that hope. No. This is not a great movie. Um, and a Chloe Sevigny kind of almost said as much directly in an interview that she did. I think it may have been at Sundance. It was with like the Huffington Post. And she kind of just like laid it out there and she was like, look, this movie is not the movie I thought I was making. Mm. Um, and she kind of threw the director under the bus mm-hmm, and was mm-hmm. like, I signed on to make this vision of the Lizzie Borden story that I thought I shared with the director. Right, because this had been a project she had been wanting to do for a while. Yeah. And um, and she... and she's not happy with how it turned out and she and i have that in common Mm -hmm. Uh, because you can see almost you can see in her eyes in this movie that she thinks she's making like a very different kind of lizzie Mm -hmm. borden movie she has this like this far away malicky look in her eyes um and uh but really but but the director has not made an interesting or fresh retelling of the lizzie borden story and it's also another dude and the screenplay is by a dude like what will that it take? Was so obvious. What will it take for you know to get, have someone finance a female written, female directed version of the Lizzie Borden story? Not that I think there's even that much left for us to gain from it, because I feel no. like the story not only is the story itself, of course, you know, one of the great American sort of you know folk tales or whatever, um, uh, and rhymes, but like every you know every labored. Uh, allegory style retelling of it where it's all you know always either like a story of doom love or feminist awakening or both mm. and um even that those doomed are the, awakening doomed feminist awakenings <laughs> my favorite kind um <laughs> it's, it's, it's they very, all are it's actually very virginia <laughs> right it has no, a good ending to it feminist awakenings don't lead to happiness guys <laughs> do not uh, but you know so even those are cliches in of themselves and so this adds mm-hmm. nothing to it except for a lot of bloody boobs and that's the thing, you know, um, whenever you see an unnecessary, sorry, I just remember the one scene when she, she, she takes off all her clothes, Chloe, to do the murders, the first and, murder, uh, she takes off all her clothes and goes and hides in the bedroom. And like, you know, what's going to happen is that when her stepmom walks in to go and like looks in the mirror and then like the camera pans around and hidden Very in the slowly. corner, all like <laughs> nude and crazy looking is Chloe <laughs> That got a round of, a round of <laughs> laughs. My my girlfriend was like, she's going to be behind that. And they were like, ah! It was hilarious. She looked like a clown. Because it's a very, very slow, controlled pan. Yes. In like, this, like, very stoic movie. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's a fully, like, it goes from one end of the room, then just a slow, 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 controlled, unmoving pan. And then just gradually, there is Chloe Seventy staying there fully nude. And totally tits opposite out, corner. Tiny hatchet in her hands. <laughs> trembling crazy eyed um and uh it is it's a hoot <laughs> uh this movie there's this there was no need to have boob there was no need to have both of their boobs yeah no fucking need yeah and you have you know yeah there's definitely it felt sensational um to because it not only get, does it give people boobs it gives people boobs in action mm-hmm. it gives people boobs in violence it gives you know you know like B&B. two two uh you know two actresses who are who you know have been thought of as sex symbols um, fully nude and waving, you know, uh, fucking axes around. Can you imagine being like, oh, you're going to go sign on to be on this, in this period piece, uh, Lizzie yeah. Borden, like murder movie. And then like, you know, day 12 in, they're like, okay, now strip down. Right. Like, what? Are you, what? You got to wonder what was so great about this script um, that made actresses. I mean, you know, Chloe Sevigny, you know, I think doesn't always 
you know, she's not an A-list star. She's certainly an icon. But Kristen Stewart is one of the most famous actresses in the world. And what would make her sign on to play a supporting part the in a Lizzie Borden movie where she has to, like, you know, be fully nude waving a pickaxe around? The dialogue. It must be the dialogue. I think, you know, what also it really is, is um, I'm, I'm going to put out there that Kristen Stewart is intentionally taking parts where she gets to show off her authentic dexterity at fingering. <laughs> and I say that because one movie I saw at TIFF, Jeremiah Terminator Leroy, uh, about JT Leroy. Mm. Um, Kristen Stewart plays uh, Savannah Knoop, who was the uh, the young San Francisco woman who mm, was called mm-hmm. upon to impersonate this character, JT Leroy, for press and interviews and, and public appearances and all that shit. Um, there's a scene where, uh, because Savannah as JT, you know, went and met uh, Asia Argento, a character that's changed entirely for this movie into a different, a, a fictional version of the same mm, character, mm-hmm. um, um, played by Diane Kruger. And, oh. um, yes. And there's a scene where Kristen Stewart, again, uh, just with great authentic dexterity, uh, just fully goes in. Wow. Um, and does that to Diane Kruger as well, gives her the full hand fuck. And, uh, and, and Kristen Stewart is like letting people know, like, yeah, I know how to do this. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's like, it's almost like this very bold thing of her being like, I'm not going to like, I'm not some straight actress where you're going to bring in some, some consultant to like, well, no. what do women do? Um, she's like, I know what to do. She's like, I'll show you a pigeonhole. <laughs> When you see the movie, you're going to understand that it has a couple of meanings. <laughs> it's a very graphic bird murder scene. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I just got pigeonholed by Kristen Stewart. The night started off slow. Things escalated. Uh, it is. Uh, so yeah, I feel like that's kind of what she brings to the table in this movie. Is like She's like, yeah, I'm going to finger man the hell out of you. And I'm going to make it look real while I do it. <laughs> Uh, you know that scene of the movie was when I when I that was the one that I was like yeah this movie sucks um, and here's why <laughs> because it's at that point that you realize they uh, they have some like light awkward flirting that you would do when you're two like socially repressed and uh, weirdos in 1892's Massachusetts mm. and then they go into the barn and they have this like little tryst and. They have one tryst, and her father catches them, yeah. and it's the end of the story. And I'm like, this this is the thing that makes this movie hacky. Like, there was no kind of, like, semblance of a relationship or in anything. It's like, you have one scene where you show the thing, check the box, and then and then that's the the one time that they do it is a time that it makes everything turn. It doesn't, it doesn't show them in any sort of, um, give that relationship any yeah. sort of um, uh, authenticity or emotion yeah. at all. It's like, nope, that was the thing that triggered the thing. And yeah. we got to show them fucking, so... Mm-hmm. It feels very regressive mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. that way. Uh, it doesn't feel like in any way a sort of an empowered modern story. No. And of course, like, you know, it's it's not like there's a, a probably a very happy way I tell the Lizzie Borden story. Um, but it does feel regressive in a way to be like, oh, hey, here's a story of these two, um, you know, these two women who met, you know, found love in a hopeless place. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, then, but then they're, <laughs> and then in between pigeonholing each other, decided to just go ahead and commit a gruesome double murder. Right, because it's dra- like, this is dramatized anyway. So mm-hmm. it's not like you have to be faithful to a source material. They're like, constraints, you know, so why not make it at least something? Yeah, it wasn't, it was, it was a mess. And I, I, I don't know that the casting is great. Uh, no. Because I think Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart are both kind of blanks mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm, lot of ways mm-hmm. in movies. Um, and, you know, and Chloe can kind of crank up the intensity a little bit when called for. But most of the time, 
she <laughs> like with the tiny X. the impression. the tiny X. I know what your Halloween costume is going to be. <laughs> uh, she, uh, but yeah, they're just kind of both blank. And Kristen Stewart, bless her, is doing an Irish accent. She sure is. And it is, I would say, not. My Liam Neeson is a damn sight better. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. Than, and you know how Rebecca hates it. And so for I her do. to say that it's better, you know that Kristen Stewart's Irish accent is very bad. Mm-hmm. It's like someone like whispered right before the scene, like, don't say T-H, just say T. <laughs> like, that's how they say it. It is. And, and, and she still, and Kristen Stewart just has that kind of like, so just like painfully earnest look on her face the whole time. Mm-hmm. So tormented. Uh, and uh, yeah, and the whole thing is just in the, you know, it is... Yeah, it just kind of hits every cliche note that you think it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the male characters are are truly over the top villains. Mm-hmm. Um, from the father to whatever character Dennis O'Hare was playing, the uncle, the uncle. Um, you know, it is. It could have been, you know, a, a really resonant movie in the Me Too era. Um, but it just it just overdoes it. And you have such great actors. You have Dennis O'Hare. You have uh, Fiona Shaw. Like, there are people mm-hmm. who could really who could have made a really great movie in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's good to look at it's beautiful right um it's just the story is such a fucking flop yeah, um it's, it's, it's a disappointment yeah it's poorly told it's poorly cast uh and you know and i think that it does itself as a disservice of having this like we keep coming back to like this this scene that will just so clearly live in internet infamy mm-hmm. of these two beautiful actresses doing fully nude axe murders mm-hmm uh, you know, which I know a lot of you are hearing that thinking like, oh, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch that movie. And we see you and we hate you. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, then then it just ends in this very kind of like malicky kind of note too. You can see like that's, yeah. that's the direction they thought they were taking it in. But this is not a successful movie. And I would dare say as much as I would love, I would love to see a great female filmmaker uh, step up and, and tell a version of the story if she wants to. But if we never have another movie about Lizzie Borden, I also think that would be just fine. fine. With it. Just also, fine. isn't it crazy that like one woman kills her parents once and it lives in in forever as American folktale? Mm-hmm. Because if you were to if it were to be a folktale that like a guy killed some people, right? Have a new folktale. We had there were two shootings today. I don't know if you knew that. There I did not two. know that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, then that's why Lizzie Borden was acquitted because the uh, the all male jury did not think she was capable of it. Well, I mean, I guess there was something to that and that's, <laughs> and that's stereotype. Call, that's what you call female privilege. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what are you giving this one, Jason? Oh, I'm probably going to send it back. I think so, too. I don't even... Yeah. It's going to be a disappointment. I can't think of any... I mean, I was surprised, though. Okay. Like, with the whodunit, I was surprised. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I didn't see it coming. There's... there's, there's <laughs> Neither there's, did they. Oh. So, yeah. That's Lizzie. Yeah, um, send and, it back. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Woof. No and, thanks. And uh, that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, subscribe if you can. If not, you know what? That's fine. Um, Jason, you're on Twitter at... Excess Faggage. At Fight Balance. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.